Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. And this week, we have Pantilla Potaraprazit, the co-founder and CEO of Sabai, which is a really interesting furniture company. We've written about it, uh, about Pantilla, a few times on Modern Retail, and there are a lot of really interesting ways that Sabai sources material, but also does product research, because I know that we did a story about product development and Instagram specifically with Sabai a few months ago. Pantilla, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell me a little about yourself. How did you get into the furniture space? Yeah, so I definitely not a traditional path to the furniture space. Um, I've hopped around a few different industries. I worked in finance for a year after graduating, then quickly left that world and went to law school actually at NYU and actually started Sabai when I was in my very first year of law school. Um, and so really came at it from a place of, you know, just being passionate about sustainability, but always having an appreciation for design and furniture and just realizing that there just weren't a lot of options for someone like me and people with values that um, are centered around sustainability. So entered this furniture industry from a place of um, curiosity and interest, but really not a background in it specifically, which um, I think was a very interesting place to come from and um, put a very put it in a very specific mindset with respect to how to think about creating a furniture company. Interesting. So did you know from the onset that you you wanted to be an entrepreneur who was starting a furniture company? Was it was that like after law school, you were like, this is what I need to do? No. So I, I mean, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted, I've always wanted to go to law school and always did. And so decided to do that from the perspective of, you know, it can be useful for starting a business. But at the time I was also playing around with the idea or considering going into politics as well. And so eventually decided that it was very much not for me um, and was someone who always liked to come up with different ideas for businesses and um, always knew that I wanted to do something that was around the intersection of business and sustainability. Um, and furniture was just the area that I saw the most opportunity for to make an impact. Absolutely. So I think furniture is a really fascinating area. And we've had some furniture brands on here before. And I think that now a lot of them are talking about sustainability, but they say they have various hand waves, but they don't necessarily <laughs> mean a lot. And um, and some of them do, some of them don't. I don't want to like call anyone out, but um, <laughs> I'd love to hear just sort of how how you approached it. Like what like what is what is the exact Sabai model when it comes to, to when it comes to sustainability? Yeah. So for Sabai, we really approach sustainability from as comprehensive as a standpoint as possible, and so. Sustainability can be such a vague term and it can mean so many different things and be applied to so many different you know, aspects of a business model. We try to apply it to every single aspect. And so whether that's, you mentioned sourcing the materials and focusing on that, um, the manufacturing process itself, the people involved in that process, the transportation of the products, but also designing the products so that we're taking end of life cycle considerations into account as well. And so designing for those different programs that help make sure that your products don't end up in landfills or that your products can be recycled. And so not thinking about just one part specifically, but doing the work to think about every single part. Got it. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys just launched a buyback program. Is that correct? We launched our buyback program last year. Um, but yes, it is a relatively new program. And it was um, that was a super exciting program. It's something that we actually wanted to do since the very beginning of Sabai. So we launched in July of 2019 and had always, you know, had this concept in mind, but logistically as a young new company that was, you know, not funded or anything like that, didn't have the bandwidth or um, 
ability to do that. And so we were super excited last year when we were able to launch that program. That's very cool. I want to get into that, but let's go into July 2019 first. So you want to launch a sustainable furniture company. What were what were your first products? How did you go about it specifically since it sounds like you didn't you were you didn't have that much furniture background beforehand? How did you sort of give yourself a, a crash course, if you will? Yeah. So um we launched with just an initial line of what we call our essential seating line, just you know, sofa, sectionals, ottomans, um, and really went after that line because we knew, you know, both from a customer need standpoint and just not creating wasteful products, we knew that these seating products are things that everyone wants to have in their homes or needs to have in their homes. So really essential products that people will want. And then in terms of the design process, so we actually partnered with a independent designer who designed luxury furniture pieces because we wanted to create um, that kind of modern, luxurious look or aesthetic while um, because we had seen, you know, flat pack furniture out there that looked flat packed and we wanted to be able to kind of merge or find a design that was able to be both flat packed and convenient, but still felt aspirational and didn't look like it came out of a box. And so we worked with a luxury furniture designer for that, but also you mentioned that, you know, in terms of our actual business model or just our mindset in terms of how we approach things, always trying to take and include the customer in that process as much as possible, a lot of the design inspiration actually came from our customers themselves. And so running surveys, polls, interviews um, with customers to understand what do you actually want out of your sofa? Um, what works for you? What do you use it for? Um, things like that. Um, like the Instagram poll that I like to reference that I thought was super um, just interesting was the one around arms. And so we you know, had this theory that most of our customers are going to be living in apartments they're going to want to maximize seating space. And so let's get super thin arms on the sofa just to get as much seating space as possible. And when we actually ran the survey, 89% of people said they wanted wide arms. They wanted people to sit on them. They wanted to put a laptop, a book, et cetera. And so our design shifted. We had we ended up with wide arms. So, and did you do that survey pre-launch? Sort of how did you find people and how did you build an audience of who you were going to, to ask? Yeah, we um, we did that pre-launch. We, it was fully in the product development process. So while we were iterating with our um, designer on different design sketches and things like that, the customers or the community that we had um, on Instagram was very much a part of that process. And so, um, you know, we just built a community of people that we saw as our demographic on Instagram, built a following there, did some um, just market a light marketing and just reaching out to different people, following different people that we felt like resonated with the brand to try to get them involved and kind of previewing what we were trying to do. That's so cool. So how did, so how did you manufacture it? How did you source it? You said you worked with a designer. Were they sort of helping lead the way with this or how did you go about it? So it fit with the ethos. Yeah. So we worked with a designer. Luckily, um, they were based in North Carolina, which is a big furniture hub. And that's where we manufacture our pieces currently. And we got connected with our current manufacturer through them. But we did talk to many, many different manufacturers. And, you know, being two women who were starting a company who were not in a very, you know, um, traditional industry or didn't, you know, uh, start our careers in that industry or have a background in it, it was definitely a challenge to find, one, just find manufacturers to begin with. And then two, convince them that this was a project that was worth pursuing, that was worth partnering and developing with us with, because it really wasn't an option to just go to a manufacturer and say, hey, can you make one a flat pack sofa that's also sustainable? They don't, 
use those materials. They don't really make those types of products. So it really did require a lot of um, partnership with our manufacturer to create our end product. In terms of the process itself, yeah, I would say it was a lot of you know, talking to this person, if that didn't work out, getting a referral to another person, just a lot, a lot of conversations. And then in terms of the actual material sourcing, I know I mentioned, you know, it wasn't an option to just say, hey, use sustainable materials across the board for our sofas. I actually had to go out and source all those different alternatives for each one of those materials. And so I think being not part of the industry actually worked out really well for us in that respect, because I didn't have a lot of preconceived assumptions regarding the types of materials, the types of suppliers, or just the process that you go about um, sourcing. And so we didn't use any brokers in that process. We went directly to different suppliers, worked with them to develop materials that were amenable to our products um, and that, you know, were as sustainable as possible. And so I think that was actually a really big blessing for us. And it has been a way that we've been really able to distinguish ourselves. So uh, is everything made to order or did you pre-make a lot or so how did that work out? So luckily um, our manufacturer agreed to work with us on a made to order basis and we've continued to operate that way. One, just because we've had a lot of demand, but two, um, you know, just early on not wanting to create products that potentially wouldn't sell. And so both from a sustainability standpoint and just a risk standpoint, we've operated on a made to order basis. In the future, definitely see, you know, an opportunity to go to a semi-inventory model just to really decrease lead times. But at the same time, given our capacity and our domestic manufacturing, our lead times are actually still really short on a made-to-order basis. Right now, they're around three to four weeks, which given everything that's going on in the furniture industry is actually quite short. Yeah, that is very short. I know some people who have ordered couches that were on a like a three to six month uh, lead time, which... It's a long yeah. time, especially when you live in New York and like, who knows what you're going to be th- six months after that anyway. but Exactly. <laughs> so uh, how, how did the first two years go sort of, I feel like launching in 2019, you know, that was pre-pandemic and the pandemic has been a very interesting uh, event for, for furniture companies for a variety of reasons, but mostly because like home goods have seen a huge spike in demand over the last few years. So what was, what, what was your experience? Yes, we definitely saw that spike ourselves. And so, like you said, we launched July 2019, so really right before COVID hit. And we're kind of finding our footing as a company for those first five months. And then, you know, the pandemic hit, everyone was home, everyone was looking for furniture. And so we definitely saw a huge spike in 2020, but then also saw a huge spike in 2021 and have continued to see a lot of growth since then. So I would say it was a really great like Kickstarter for us that we've been able to maintain in terms of growth. Um, I think one thing, you know, the furniture industry was hit in a good way and in a bad way. So in terms of demand, it was amazing. Um, a lot of demand for home products in terms of supply, um, that abrupt, you know, increase in demand really brought a lot of challenges for the industry. But for us, I think that actually worked out extremely well, given that our supply chain is set up to be domestic because of sustainability reasons. And so, um, we really didn't have to deal with a lot of those freight and, um, just lead time concerns that a lot of other um, industry people had to deal with. So were you hurt at all by uh, factories in the United States closing down or did that cause any disruptions or were you mostly able to sort of glide through? Yeah, we were, I mean, there were definitely, there were some small periods where our lead times went up to six weeks, but that was really the extent of it. And so we've been able to normalize that to um, a large extent and, you know, our factory closed down for two weeks in 2021 or 
was that uh, 2020 just because of COVID measures. But other than that, we've actually been able to operate in a very um, smooth way. And so what has product expansion or product evolution looked like over the last two years? So product expansion um, has really, similarly to how we launched, been driven by our customers. And so after, in 2021, we launched the first additional size, which was the love seat, which was the most requested size from our customers. So continuing to really engage with our customers and learn from them as much as possible. And so that was kind of the first edition. After that, and we run a lot of post-purchase surveys or just giveaway surveys to understand what people are looking for. And so the chair was really the next most requested item. And so we launched our chair in August of last year. And then now we're actually working on extended seating sizes. And so our sofas, while they aren't modular to the extent that they're, you know, seat by seat, they are modular to the extent that you could add a chaise onto um, a sofa, or you could put two love seats together, or you could put a love seat and a sofa onto a corner unit and expand it that way. And so that's the next exciting project that we're working on now is um, going after those larger sizes because surprisingly, which goes against, you know, the very first um, assumption that we had in the beginning regarding um, the vast majority of our customers living in apartments. We actually do have a lot of customers that live in, you know, real homes, um, which is a foreign concept being a New Yorker. Um, <laughs> but, you know, people who actually could fit really large sofas in their spaces. And so um, right now looking to expand our product line to capture that market as well. So do you think that, that that's really interesting? Do you think that that is because of those headlines that are like, people are moving to the suburbs or or whatever, you know, like young millennials are tired of living in, you know, a $3,000 <laughs> studio? Or is it that you you reach more people who were already in the suburbs than before, than you thought, not than before? Right. I think it's definitely a combination of both. I think that, you know, um, we maybe didn't appreciate how much people throughout the country care about sustainability and buying sustainable products. Um and so a lot of individuals in cities like Chicago or Austin or Denver who actually, you know, spend a lot of time outside and actually care about the environment and things like that, who want sustainable products. And so um, I think that's something that we underestimated. And then at the same time, exactly what you're saying in terms of people starting to move out there, especially during um, the pandemic and with all, um, you know, cities having um, inflated real estate prices and things like that, definitely a push towards those cities as well. So just so, you know, our listeners know, like, what is the price point of, of your average pieces? So our best-selling item is our sofa, and that piece sells for $13.95. Got it. So that's like like a mid, yeah, mid-range. Actually, that's more more affordable than I expected, to be completely honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the mission for Zvi is really to be sustainable but accessible at the same time. So really making conscious and sustainable living as accessible as possible. And so, you know, there are definitely super high-end sustainable furniture companies out there that exist that are doing, you know, bespoke pieces and reclaimed wood and everything like that. Um, But it's not something that the average consumer that cares the most about buying sustainable products can really afford. And so that's really the space that we're trying to occupy. Got it. It makes sense. So, so what, how do you market that? Or sort of, how did you go about brand positioning that? Is it sustainability first? Is it that you write posts saying, this is where this wood came from? This is where this material came from? Or is it that you, you try to lead with the design? Or is it both? Sort of, how did you approach brand messaging? Definitely sustainability first. I think that 
it's interesting being a brand in our positioning because sometimes early on we were kind of joking that we're trying to be essentially the impossible burger furniture in terms of, you know, letting people have everything they want while also being sustainable. And so, um, I think it has been interesting though, in terms of the consumer mindset with respect to sustainability. I think that, you know, a few years ago, five years ago, and definitely to an extent still today, but sustainability is kind of a nice add-on. And that definitely is the case for a lot of consumers where, you know, they want everything they want. And if it's sustainable, that's a great add-on. But I think we are seeing a shift in, in terms of consumer mindset with respect to sustainability really becoming a driving factor for a lot more customers. I think one interesting um, data point that we have on our end is we run a post-purchase surveys with our customers and 67% of them actually say sustainability was the number one reason behind their purchase. And so I think that's really validating to us and really encouraging in terms of seeing how much people, how much stock people put into sustainability with respect to their purchases now. What would you say is the most important or the, of the few most important uh, marketing channels that you use? So for us, given that our initial product line was sofas and still today, that's our primary product line, you know, you don't really see an Instagram ad for a sofa and decide to buy it and on a whim. And so we really do, um, in terms of digital advertising, try to focus on more efficient channels um, like Google search where people are actively looking for those products to furnish their homes or Pinterest where people are actively planning those spaces. We also um, very early on made a commitment towards um, PR. And so we realized that, you know, one is an early company or a new company wanted to build that customer trust or loyalty with our customers by having, you know, trusted outlets verify us and support us. And so that was one angle we went towards. Another angle was really getting into, you know, articles, listicles about sustainable furniture and or just blogs about sustainable living, getting into those communities that we knew cared and resonated with what we were trying to do. And so, you know, in terms of thinking about that customer different customer demographics, kind of the spearhead customer who cares about sustainability. And so that's what really we went after early on and continue to do now. And I think have seen a lot of communities um, really resonate with that. For example, one is young moms who are really concerned about toxicity and are still you know, looking for an affordable product, but don't want to expose their babies or young children to toxic chemicals. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I always, I ask people this because I, I find this fascinating, but do you have like a gold standard for, in terms of earned media? Like if you're like, if we get into apartment therapy, that's when we're going to see a huge spike in sales. Is there one that, that really fits the bill for you guys? Or is it just any, or they all are, have their own certain nuances to them? Yeah, I would say that um, apartment therapy, it's funny you mentioned that does really well for us. Um, the good trade is another that does really well for us. I think that demographic very squarely fits into what we're speaking to in terms of, you know, caring about design and conscious living and sustainability. And so that's definitely one outlet that um, does very well for us. Can you talk a little about Pinterest? Because I feel like that is an often, not forgotten, but, you know, everyone talks about Instagram and then TikToks do, so people talk about TikTok, but uh, furniture TikTok hasn't really taken off just yet, at least <laughs> not, not on my feed. But I feel like Pinterest is the one that has always been a little bit more expensive, but you have a lot of more in per people with um, purchasing intent. And so how have you approached Pinterest and like, what was, is it still, is it still working to the extent that it has over the last few years? So we actually started pursuing Pinterest more um, really 
mid to early last year. And so it actually wasn't something that we were pursuing early on, but um, it definitely made sense in terms of it was the same concept around um, as Google search, which is what we were focused on in terms of those active um, purchasers. And so once we did start testing with Pinterest, it's been really great for us just in terms of, like you said, those people who are actively um, converting. And so in terms of ROAS and everything like that, it really has performed very well and has continued to perform well as we scale. But um, it's definitely something, you know, we'll keep our eye on. Are there any specific lessons that you've learned in how best to tailor your your Pinterest content as compared to, say, Instagram? Um, I would say that, you know, Pinterest is a little bit similar to maybe like TikTok in the sense that it's kind of inspirational You um, in terms of the content itself having to be something that people actually resonate with and will repost or like pin on their board and actually use for inspiration. And so I think for Pinterest, the content has been really important and making sure that the content seems organic. Um, Whereas I think with Instagram, ads that seem more explicitly like ads are okay. Um, But for Pinterest, it's more akin to, I think, um, TikTok, where that organic content really works. Got it. Makes sense. Let's talk about the buyback program. So you said that you that was something you always wanted to work on. What what did you have in place that made it work so that you were able to put it in place last year? That was a very convoluted way of putting that, <laughs> saying that, but you understand what I'm saying. I understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So since the you know um, genesis of Sabai, we always wanted to have a buyback program. We just knew that. When we started to look into the furniture more, which is partly, which is part of, you know, that journey to actually deciding to launch, deciding to launch Sabai, um, we just saw how much waste the furniture industry generates over 9 million tons goes to landfills a year. And so understanding that we definitely we were very aware of the fact that if we wanted to you know, genuinely be a sustainable furniture company, we had to think of the end of life of our products, too. And so that was something that we were always aware of and had in the back of our heads even after we launched and knew that that wasn't something we were initially able to do. And so we were actually able to launch Sabai last January. Um, We found a great partner, um, a logistics partner who was able to do that for us. And so they have different hubs throughout the country. And so thinking just in terms of the logistics of it, you know, to be sustainable, you also have to try to minimize transportation as much as possible. And so instead of sending a sofa all the way from California back to our hub in North Carolina to then resell back to California or something like that. Um, it has to be localized. And so working with a partner that had warehouses throughout the country that could localize that, um, that process. How exactly does it work? Like what is the, what is the overall formula of the program? Yeah. So essentially if you buy a sofa from us, the average millennial moves every two years nowadays. And so in two years you decide to move, you can't bring your sofa with you for whatever reason. Um, you reach out to us, you fill out a form saying, you know, what product you have, what condition it's in your address. Um, and then our partner will reach out to you to coordinate a pickup. And so someone will come and pick up the piece within one or two weeks from you yourself. Um, whatever date that you schedule, they'll take it back to their warehouse, list it for resale. I think another really interesting thing that we've seen is our products that we list for resale sell out incredibly fast. And so, you know, we still are, it's a relatively young program. And so it's not, you know, a massive amount of people selling their sofas yet, but, um, every product that we do list for resale sells out within 72 hours. And so customers that resonate with Sabai really do understand, you know, sustainability and buying secondhand and are very open to that, 
um, to that concept. And so those products that get listed for resale will then sell and then ship to those customers. And the existing customer will get um, a commission on that price. And so either as credit or cash, whatever you choose. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. And are they, is it being sold on a separate platform or is it like there's a Sabai secondhand shop that they can go to? Exactly. There's a Sabai secondhand shop on our website. Got it. And talk to me about logistics as a whole. I know that like shipping furniture is very expensive um, and often a very bad experience. I know that there are certain furniture companies out there that are trying more to own that, that part of the process. How, how do you approach that? Yeah. So for us, um, Right now we ship in flat pack boxes via FedEx ground. And so that's actually worked out really well for us so far. I think that, you know, one of the pain points when it came to furniture and it's definitely a delicate balance and there are pros and cons to both, but with respect to white glove delivery, you know, having giant um, delivery windows and, you know, not having convenient delivery times. And that's definitely something that using um, something like FedEx ground can help avoid. And so, um, that's what we're currently using because our products are flat packed. That also works out. Um, our sofa ships in four boxes. It arrives at the customer's door within a few days. Um, and so that's how we currently operate, but we're definitely exploring different potential, um, options in terms of, you know, some people don't want to assemble their sofa. And so potentially offering a white glove delivery option where someone actually comes and um, assembles it for you, which is a little bit counterintuitive, um, given that the design is set up for, um, the opposite, but you know, different people want different things. And so balancing that is something that you have to do. They're all sold completely online. So hundred percent of your sales are online right now. Yes, exactly. Um, would you ever think about doing a showroom or like, have you thought about selling it elsewhere or doing anything beyond the DTC model? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think that given that, the majority of the time that we've been operational, it's also been, you know, a pandemic. And so people have had to accept that um, things are online. But I think that as we come out of that, people will more and more, um, you know, want to see products on, um, in person or a, dem- a subset of people will want to see products in person before purchasing. And so we are exploring the idea of working with different retail partners or just brands that are aligned in terms of mission and sustainability that have retail spaces and, um, putting furniture into their spaces so that our customers can view those in person um, rather than having our own retail shop. But um, that's kind of the short-term strategy. We are having, we are planning a pop-up this coming summer in New York um, to highlight a new line that we're actually developing right now that we're super excited about. But we're definitely testing out those different options, but at the moment really focused on online um, and if not just directly online to our customers, um, other channels as well, like B2B or wholesale channels as well. Have you not done B2B or wholesale, or wholesale yet? Or I guess B, you haven't done wholesale, but have you done B2B yet? No, we've had a few different conversations, but definitely want to be thoughtful about the partner and the relationships that we go into and making sure that values are aligned. And then I think the other part of it as a new company, wanting first to be able to build a strong brand in the D2C space, to be able to leverage that in negotiations or conversations with wholesale or B2B partners. Got it. And uh, have you done a pop-up yet or will this be your very first pop-up this summer? This will be our very first pop-up. So That's very exciting. Yeah, <laughs> definitely very exciting. Um, we did have a launch party very early on um, in the company's life, but I wouldn't count that as a, as a pop-up. So, so 
for the year to come and even the few years to come, what does product expansion look like? Are you going to just look into new designs? Are you going to go beyond chairs, sofas, love seats? What What are you thinking about? Yes, 100%. And so the goal is really to, I think, once we're able to build that brand trust with our customers and, you know, put their mind at ease with respect to having to do the research regarding sustainability at each stage. And so once we've built that trust with our customers, really want to be able to leverage that so that they can outfit their whole home and buy products. And so um, whether that means the entire living room, expanding to bedroom products, um, outdoor products, things like that. And so really expanding the product line um, to allow people to outfit their home and buy products. I think another area that we're, we've always been really excited about and I think is a differentiator for Sabai is um, on the materials front. So always trying to innovate around materials and pushing the boundaries in terms of what's out there, what's being used and what can be used for furniture products. And so um, that's something that we're currently working on that we're really excited about. I think, so for one example, that the line of coffee tables that we're actually working on launching this coming um summer is utilizing we've worked with a partner to essentially create a scalable way to use reclaimed wood from fallen trees and things like that um, from cities and working with those cities to utilize those in a scalable way and consistent way um, but essentially avoiding you know harvesting from actual forests and using wood like that and so always trying to push the boundaries in terms of what's possible there well, that's so cool. We're like almost out of time, but I want to ask you more about that. How, <laughs> how do you how do you find a program like that where finding like fallen trees in cities that you can do at scale to make <laughs> coffee tables? Yeah, I mean, I really think it's about being really curious. And so we've always just talked to as many people as possible. And there is like a whole network of people innovating in the material space. And so being super active in that space, talking to people, continuing to have conversations, and then you know, it is a bit serendipitous in terms of, you know, what's out there and what your needs are and what might work. And so making sure that you're casting a net to be able to facilitate those conversations. And so we we're super excited and we're really lucky to have found this partner um, that, you know, is doing something that is very new and um, wasn't done in this kind of way before. That is super cool. Cantilla, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's been so fun. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week. Bye.